Welcome back to the Between the Levees podcast. I'm joined today by a man who's been in the industry for quite some time. Uh, he recently retired an executive, I'm sure a storied career. Mr. Mark Canoy, thank you very much for joining me. Happy to be here, Tim, and I uh, look forward to our conversation today. Thanks a lot. Uh, let's start off where it began. Where were you born, sir? I was born in Laysal County, uh, actually in Prue, Illinois, uh, right along the Illinois River. A very young age moved out to a, a little rural community, Lowell, Illinois, uh, four miles south of Starved Rock Lock and Dan. My dad had uh, married a only child from this little community of 65 people and uh, took our family out there, built a house out in the country. And I was raised out in the country in amongst uh, farmland, Laysal County, Illinois. Did you have any siblings? Uh, we did. I have uh, a brother who happens to be a chief engineer over at uh, Marathon. Uh, works on their towboats, been in the industry his whole life. And I had three sisters. I have uh, all three of them at one time or another had something to do in the river industry. My oldest sister, Candy, uh, worked for Eddie Conrad and uh, worked for me and uh, many other people in personnel and supply. And she passed away a couple of years ago. My sister, Connie, was uh, in fleet dispatching at Pekin and Ottawa for most of her career. And then she moved on to construction. And uh, my youngest sister, Chris, uh, uh, who her husband had a company called Delmar Marine Supply that we put together back in the early days and sold uh, rigging and line to towboats. And uh, she's now out of that business into something else. She lives down in St. Augustine. So at one point we all had, uh, we had the entire family working together uh, in the marine business in the mid eighties. What did your parents do for a living? Well, my dad was a towboat pilot, so that's how I uh, got in the industry. He uh, worked on the Illinois River. Actually, uh, in the mid-60s, he was working over at ACBL and uh, brought out the Chicago Trader uh, when it was a new boat. And uh, he would go by, you know, Starve Rock every once in a while, and Lockmaster would call us, and my mom would throw us all in the station wagon. We'd go over and see my dad you know, for 30 minutes at the lock. And uh, I was fascinated with the whole thing. Uh, or maybe I just missed my dad, one of the two, but I, uh, so I fell in love with that. My mom was, uh, uh, was a factory worker and uh, pretty busy raising five children. So a homemaker and in, in her spare time held down a job at the Westinghouse, no West clocks, West clocks manufacturing in Peru. They made the, you know, the little big Ben alarm clock. Okay. So uh, they both work most of the time. And how did your father get into towboating? Well, my dad um, ran away from home at a young age and uh, ended up at Uniontown Lock and Dam on the Ohio River. And because uh, he, he was born and raised in Washington County, southern Indiana, around Floyd's Knobs. And, uh, you know, back in those days, it was really common for this. And, uh, Captain yelled over at this kid on the lock wall, said, hey, you looking for a job? And he said, yes. And he got on the boat with Paul Striegel, um, a longtime, you know, career captain in the industry. And so that's how uh, he got involved. And he did that, uh, worked in the engine room and tankerman, uh, went off and served in Korea, came back, got in the wheelhouse and uh, stayed in the wheelhouse uh, through the early 80s. And uh, then he went ashore with Federal Barge Lines down at Triangle Fleet uh, under the direction of a gentleman by the name of Jeff Kendall. Oh, yeah. 
kind of goes back to Jeff and I's relationship. We met in 1980. Okay. A matter of fact, uh, because you worked at uh, convent for a while, you probably know Jeff or know of Jeff. I and do. Uh, I'm happy to say I'm going to his retirement dinner uh, in about two weeks. He's retiring after 50 years of service in the industry. Good for him. So it was a pretty easy segue for me to get into the river business uh, with my dad being on the boats and a, a pretty active uh, harbor uh, service in the grain industry it was 10 miles away in Ottawa, Illinois. He would go by there and talk to the owner of the little fleet boat that was there back then. So I'm talking in the mid seventies, um, there really weren't any fleets uh, around the river system. Line boats still nudged in at an elevator and dropped a barge and shifted it around by themselves or tied off their toe. And this guy at Ottawa had a little 400 horsepower boat that he tied up next to the ADM grain elevator. And that was just 10 minutes from my house. So even before I had a driver's license, I would manage to get over there on the weekends and after school and no, there wasn't a lot of traffic back in those days, uh, not, not like what you experienced in New Orleans. And so I got an early, uh, early indoctrination into to harbor services and working on towboats uh, while I was going to high school. Okay. And prior to, I guess, working age, uh, as one of five children on a farm, what were you up to growing up? Well, we, we uh, were surrounded by farm community. Uh, we ourselves didn't have a farm. Um, we lived about a quarter of a mile from my grandma and grandpa, my mom's parents. So, you know, we ran around out in the woods. I think there were 65 people in this community. Uh, there was only about 10 or 12 kids. Half of them were our family and and the Ots and the Coles. And we, uh, we just explored out in the woods. We lived uh, maybe uh, 500 yards from the Vermilion River, which flows into the Illinois in Peru. So we had the uh, the Vermilion River and uh, Bailey Creek and, you know, just out in the woods, just what kids did back in those days, uh, you know, just, uh, well, getting in trouble almost every day, quite frankly, but <laughs> innocent type trouble back then, you know, just not coming home on time and things like that. But uh, sure. had a lot of fun, swam in the rivers and fished and built forts and things that kids do. Yeah. Uh, were you drawn to anything academically growing up? Well, yes, I, I was. I uh, I did want to get a good education. You know, unfortunately, we went to a very small school, 35 kids in my class. Um, but I did get a an appointment at Merchant Marine Academy, which uh, uh, was something my dad wanted me to do, uh, was to go to college. And uh, uh, so I got an appointment to the Merchant Marine Academy and went up to the Great Lakes and took the physical. And But quite frankly, I, I needed a job i uh, i needed uh, to make money uh, we didn't have a lot of money back then pilots certainly didn't make what they make today back then i started working on the river for 13 dollars and 50 cents a day and frankly i i needed the money my dad was uh, uh of the mind that when you get out of high school it's time to move out and start your life and you're on your own and so uh instead of going off to the merchant marine academy which i i wish i would have i I went to Memphis and got my pilot's license on my 19th birthday. By then you had to have an OUTV to run a boat. So I went and got my pilot's license and started making a hundred dollars a day, changed my life. It was uh, a lot of money uh, for a young kid and uh, opened the doors to uh, a lot of opportunity and uh, 
though I missed uh, going to school, uh, you know, things turned out okay. Uh, River industry has been very good to my family and and uh, my extended family and many friends of mine that I've made over the years. So I, I did want to go off to school, but frankly, just didn't have a lot of direction and, and support and uh, uh, knowledge. Didn't know anything about it. Nobody in our family had ever went to college didn't know how to go about going to college. So it was a little bit of the blind leading the blind. And I don't know, it seemed like uh, when, when you needed your dad to be there, he'd be out working on the boat. So uh, at any rate, it, it all worked out okay. Uh, uh, went to school um, about, it was about four miles away. So we were a little outside of town, but uh, met a girl there, high school with, we got married very young and, and, uh, moved away to a community where we thought we could build a future. Okay. But uh, it, it was always uh, kind of focused on the river industry. What um what year would that have been making 1350 per day? Uh probably about 1975 I would have been 16 years old which was the minimum age that you could get hired on a towboat. And uh, actually the the Banna family had uh, a couple boats up on the Illinois working for the, uh, actually Ingram had the contract at the time to haul the sludge out of Chicago down to Liverpool. And uh, so here's a Southern company, you know, just running a boat between Lamont and Liverpool, Illinois, and trying to get people to go up there and work was really difficult. So um, I was so close to, to the river my dad would call and say, hey, so-and-so is looking for a guy. If, if you're not going to do anything this weekend, you come out and make two or three days pay. And I mean, that was that was really something uh, compared to a paper route at making a nickel of paper, you know. Sure. So, um, yeah, and I remember, uh, you know, working for Frankie's dad. Uh, he would ride the boat quite a bit, Frank Sr. and uh, his brother. And uh, if you came back after 30 days, you went to 15 bucks and you topped out, I think, at seventeen fifty a day. So that was probably seventy five, seventy six. Okay. And because uh, I remember when I got my license, uh, pilots were making one hundred and twenty dollars a day. That would have been nineteen seventy eight. I was actually driving back from Memphis after just getting my license, and I got a phone call and said, "If you can be at Hennepin this afternoon, we, we got a job for you." You know, people talk about about you know how difficult it is to find people today uh, that was true in the mid 70s and throughout my whole career it's always been difficult to find people and finding good people is even you know more difficult than that i got exposure early on to the industry uh, loved being out on the boat you know that was the best part traveling around the country for a country kid that had never been anywhere it was exciting we had uh this little guy that, uh, not little guy, but this guy that had this one boat operation in uh, Ottawa, uh, eventually gave me a truck so I could drive back forth to work, kind of be on call all the time because maybe a boat once a day would come through there and have to drop a barge or pick one up. And he'd call and I'd drive an old Chevy pickup truck over there and we'd go out, meet the boat, and drop a barge, pick one up, might get to clean that bar. You know, you kind of did whatever. I mean, there was a, a pilot that lived in a house trailer on the on the fleeting property, and I was the calling deckhand. And uh, and he got a second boat, and then he got a contract on the mat sinking unit to provide horsepower on the mat sinking unit. And uh, so I went down the Shaflaya River one summer, 
it's probably between my sophomore and junior year. I, I wasn't much over 16, maybe seven. And gosh, I just really loved that. You know, went so far away, all the way down into Louisiana and that. I was just mesmerized by the scenery and uh, the people, you know. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that, that was probably uh, mid-70s up through 78. I got a license and uh, ran boats on the Illinois River. And then this harbor service in Ottawa had continued to grow. And at the same time, I was dating this girl and she wasn't too keen on the being gone all the time. So a very unfortunate incident, the, the harbor service's son got killed in a car wreck. And uh, so he, he was looking for somebody to come ashore and run the maintenance and repair crew. And I volunteered to do that so I could be home. And uh, so I did that. And then he got an opportunity to buy a harbor service down in Pekin, Illinois. And uh, he said, you know, I'd buy that place if I just had somebody to run it. And I said, I'll go run it for you. And I was just 20 years old. And I said, I'll go down there. We're going to go look at it on Sunday. That's Easter. You know, I said, I don't care. I'll, I'll go. And uh, so I went and he came back, decided to buy it. And my wife and I had only been married for a few months. And uh, we moved to Pekin, Illinois, and we stayed there about 15 years and uh, ran the harbor service in it for him. And then uh, I started up my own harbor service there and brought most of my family together to help run it. And uh, we did that all through the 80s until when I finally went to work for a major barge company down in St. Louis, Memco Barge Line. Okay. Uh, what did it take startup capital-wise, I guess, back in, in the 80s? Did, did you, you bought a boat for this harbor service you ran? Well, I had, uh, so I went down to run this harbor and, uh, uh, you know, it's so different than what you do in New Orleans. I developed a lot of business in New Orleans later in my career, but up on the Illinois River, it's shallow, narrow, not a lot of current, not a lot of barges, really. Uh, we had these 600 horsepower boats that uh, were mostly leased from a guy in St. Louis, Kenny Tubbs at Humboldt Marine. And uh, so I worked there at that harbor service and, and learned all about it. And and uh, kind of got sideways with the owner when his kids got out of school. He wanted them to the company. And I didn't think that, uh, you know, that was the best plan. So we kind of got sideways. And I left there and started up a competing right next door. And uh, because he was an absent owner, uh, I was able to, you know, I knew all the major players and uh, knew all the customers, all the landowners. And I knew, knew a boat owner that would charter us some boats. So I had saved, to answer your question directly, I had saved $17,000. That's what I had. And, and uh, my dad, um, in 1984, uh, Federal Barge Line was going to be sold to uh, the Ohio River Company. And so I asked my dad if he wanted to come up and, and go into business with me. And he said he would. And, and uh, of course, he knew a lot of people. He'd been in the industry his whole life. And so, you know, we got a couple of people. I remember Joe Cadero is one of them and Bob Hornbuckle and uh, Jeff Kendall was very helpful and some guys in St. Louis. And 
I remember we uh, we went down to St. Louis. We picked up a boat. We brought it up to Pekin, Illinois, and our first customer showed up in a couple of days. This was August of '84, and we grew that uh, to a handful of tugs, and we had four or five line boats that tramped on the Illinois River. And my dad got sick, and uh, really wanted to give him an opportunity to enjoy life, uh, what little he had left. So we sold the business in 1989 so my dad could retire. And it, it's difficult with a family business too. All my siblings were working there, my mom. and But at any rate, we, we all had a successful opportunity there. And we sold that in 1989 to Garvey International, which was a big grain originator out in Kansas. And uh, so they bought me. I stayed on for a couple of years and then Jeff Kendall and I formed a, a little company over on the 10 Tom and uh, we gathered up about 80 barges, I think for a couple of years, ran into the great flood of 93. And uh, that, that really took about half of what I'd made in the previous 10 years. And I thought that was enough. Let's, uh, let's figure out something to do. And we had, we had already started a family. So um, I had done lots and lots of work for Memco. So. It, it, it was a good fit. I took my business and, and my experience and went to work at Memco. And that was kind of the start of my career at the, at the bigger barge lines. And what was your first job there at Memco? Well, because uh, the unique thing that we had is we had roundwood uh, going into Epps, the port of Epps, Alabama. We're gathering up roundwood up off of the Tennessee around Gunnersville. And uh, I, I got a, a, a contract with Mannington Wood Floors along with a, a business partner. And uh, so we, we had that business locked up long-term. So had that contract. Uh, we were also starting to compete with uh, the locals there, Parker and WGN for other on the 10 Tom and the Black Warrior. And we did that for a couple of years. And, made the mistake of branching out to the, the upper miss and the Illinois and got caught up in the flood and uh, you know, didn't turn a wheel up there for 103 days and just sucked the life out of the business, you know, cause you still had ongoing expenses. And uh, I remember one of the folks that you interviewed, Jim Farley was a, a good friend of mine, good business acquaintance at this time. He was over at the Valley line and subsequently at ACBL and, uh, he helped me with some barges and, and the guys at Memco Parsonage and Harry Waddington. And, you know, we, we worked through it all and ended up uh, starting there as the, I think it was the Southern Regional Sales Manager was my, and I was in charge of the uh, sales in the Southeast, basically the, the Tantom and the Black Warrior, the Upper Tennessee, the, the East Canal, um, and, uh, you know, kind of broke into the big barge line there, started learning the, the big barge line way of doing business. And it, it wasn't too long. I, I think within a year, uh, got promoted to uh, the head of logistics and dispatch. And within another year or two, I was the head of uh, sales and the executive vice president at, uh, at Memco, working with uh, Chris Parsonage. Okay, and around that time, uh, is that when you started frequenting New Orleans and met some folks down here? Yeah, uh, you know, Memco had a, a, a large presence 
uh, in the Gulf, uh, certainly not as big as, you know, the main barge lines back then were like the Valley Line had a thousand barges and uh, I think Ohio River Company had 1500 barges. All of a sudden ACBL ended up with a couple thousand barges, but there weren't really big barge lines like there are today. So we had 600 barges and uh, mostly management barges. Um, but when I went to work there, Memco had just sold to uh, Electric Fuels Corporation, which was the fuel buying arm of Florida Power. So now switching gears from a management company to uh, uh, a full-blown owner operator. And uh, we put together a plan, the whole enchilada we call it. And uh, we built 1,200 barges and three tow boats and grew the business uh, significantly uh, over the course of time, I guess, six, seven years there. Uh, I did take a year and went to Coke Industries over in Wichita, thinking I was tired of the barge business, but only lasted 11 months over there, learned a lot and uh, changed my, the way I did business and uh, the way we we did business at Memco. I, so I left for a year, came back. And when I came back, I was uh, in charge of business development, primarily around the Gulf region. So uh, really got involved right at the time that uh, Memco was leaving Triangle and going out on their own. And uh, we bought Convent Fleet up at Convent from, uh, who was that? Jack Jackson, I think, had it at the time. So this is back in the late 90s. And uh, actually, we looked at Frank Morton's business. A lot of, you know, things seems like in our industry, you have a couple good years every decade, whether you need it or not. He's, you know, been very capital intensive and, and very cyclical. Beyond seasonal, it's, it's very cyclical as well. So actually, Frank wasn't doing very good back then. And we, his major customer was ACBL. And we came very close to, to uh, acquiring turn services. That was one of the first major deals I worked on down in the Gulf. Uh, Frank was able to hang on and, and uh, did extremely well for himself. And uh, we bought Convent. And uh, a lot of work up at Darrow as well. Um, then we got up into uh, a Baton Rouge, had a place there. Uh, we had bought Randy Eckstein, uh, who had uh, Elmwood Fleet down at Pelican Point, I think it was. Um, bought the shipyard from Walver, which is now, uh, well, at the time it was, uh, I guess we called it Memco Bell Chase. So, you know, did spent a lot of time. I, I think the first year I came back uh, from Wichita, uh, so 99, I, I was probably down there 40 weeks. Did a lot down there and then kind of became responsible for that area of operation. Jeez, I, 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 you know, every month I'd be down there for probably a week, a month for pretty much the rest of my career. I, uh, I love New Orleans. I love the challenge and the logistics and the bigger we got the more difficult it was and so therefore the more interesting it, it became and really grew that business over the remainder of my career and uh, a lot of good people involved in, in building that uh, a lot of them are, are you know finishing up very successful career Terrence Gomez was one of those guys he he ran all the river stuff and Harry Brock ran the shipyard 
Drew Lorette was there. We had a great team. Jeff Kendall was a very important part of that team as well. So just met a lot of great people in the Gulf and uh, had, had a great team down there. I loved working in the Gulf. And this was pre-AEP, right? It was pre-AEP, but things continued. Uh, so uh, Memco, uh, actually Florida Power was sold to what is now Duke, but at the time it was North Carolina Power. And North Carolina Power was a landlocked power company at the time, did not have any barge service. And Florida Power didn't have any barge service with the exception of the cross Gulf barging, because uh, they could rail it in as well. And so um, Carolina Power bought Memco, but immediately uh, put Memco up for sale. They, they, they wanted the power units. They didn't want the barge line. The day that they closed, they named me executive vice president, and they brought in kind of a, a placeholder to make sure nobody cleaned out the cabinets, if you will. And uh, over a period of about 11 months, we ended up, you know, interviewing with a lot of people and sold the sold the business to American Electric Power, which was a, a great fit. Uh, they came from a very heavily regulated business and more, we were a commercial business and we combined the two companies and had a pretty meaningful growth. Uh, I think uh, I was there for 10 years of that from 01 to 11. Uh, we built, I can't remember how many barges, thousand barges or better and 10 uh, new tow boats, 10 new 6,000s, explosive growth again in the Gulf. We, you know, endured through Katrina, kind of changed everything in the business for a while, brought about a step change in rates, which made business uh, worth having. And uh, that went on for a good four or five years. So we had expanded quite a bit and uh, got on the radar screen at AEP, which was good and bad because in a regulated business, there are pretty darn steady and uh, you know the years that we were doing extremely well it was a fun place to be did that until 2011 great company to work for and in uh, 11 was that the jump to ACBL yeah I got a, a phone call out of the blue one day and uh, of course we had we had tried to buy ACBL when I was at AP we AEP River Operations. We tried to buy ACBL, and uh, I think we would have. We just had a change in senior leadership at AEP, and uh, the new guy coming in had no idea what a barge was or why AEP would even own a barge. And so it it was just bad timing, quite frankly. And because uh, otherwise, I think we would have bought ACBL, which ultimately uh, it turned around and ACBL bought bought AEP, but. Uh, uh, size matters in the barge business, uh, matters a great deal. Scale is so important to the economics of running barge lines today that we, we can talk about that however much you want to. But yeah, I, I, so I stayed there uh, until 2011 as president of AEP. And I was also on the fuel team at, uh, at, at AEP Generation in, in Columbus as well. Okay, and then I guess forward in your career, uh, you joined ACBL through retirement, correct? Yeah, so then I got uh, recruited. Uh, ACBL was taken private by Platinum Equity. They had uh, they had come close to buying another barge line, a smaller one, 
a much smaller one entree into the industry. And then they stumbled onto uh, this ACBL one. And they somehow found a guy by the name of Russell Flowers. They attempted to do something with him and uh, that didn't go through. And just during those conversations, they said, you know, if we were to buy this company, who would you, who would you recommend that come over and run it for us? And, and he gave them my name and, and a couple other people. And so I got recruited to go over there in 11 and, you know, business was very, uh, and it had been tough uh, for a while. ACBL was having a tough go of it as well. So it was nice to get a, a breath of fresh air in there, some, some new money in there. From 11 to 15, I think we spent $300 million fixing up all the boats and uh, uh, adding some new barges. And, uh, and then we spent a couple hundred more on, on new barges and some, you know, renewing the tank fleet and uh, building out new harbor boats, et cetera. And, uh, and the P opportunity came up. I remember we got down to a couple finalists and uh, we took a team and camped out in AEP's offices for a week and got the deal done. We, we thought it was an excellent opportunity to bring in at AP that we wanted and uh, they had a really good boat fleet and a fairly new barge fleet but you know consolidating two large companies with long histories in business because uh, AEP had been around since the mid-50s when they bought Oliver Shear's company and AEP had, or uh, Memco those guys had been around since uh, the mid-70s so you know there was a lot of pride on both sides and then a ACBL who celebrated their 100th anniversary in the I think 2015. So, you know, it, it's difficult to bring uh, those large operating entities together. So we worked on that for a while, but frankly, the, the market took a severe downturn. Uh, seemed like the day after we closed. I remember we closed on November the 12th because we were scheduled to close on Friday and it was November the 13th. I said, well, we let's not poke the bear. Let's at least close on a the third, you know, not Friday the 13th. So I remember we closed on November the 12th. It was a Thursday. And I went on vacation the day after we closed. And by the, I was gone for a week, came back and the, and the whole market had just really cratered on the grain side. And, you know, on the dry cargo side, no matter what you hear, that's what runs that business. And uh, coal makes a, a limited appearance now and then, but it's really a grain commodity run business and, uh, you know, hadn't done much better, I guess, and uh, from 15 through 20, you know, we, we had a really tough go of it uh, uh, for a five, five year period there. And, uh, you know, just felt like it was time to, to bring in a, a new team and a new leader. And uh, I was uh, frankly wore out. Uh, didn't think I would have been, it would have been fun either today, but it, it became pretty tough uh, going through some of those things we did. And uh, so I just thought it was time to step away. I got a lot of catching up to do with family. So uh, I put in 43 years and uh, loved every minute of it, but uh, really happy to be retired today and have time to, to be with my Without a doubt. Uh, what is a day in the life, I guess, from the 50,000 foot view of a, of a CEO or, or president of a, of a 4,500 barge, barge company? 
Well, it, uh, I didn't require a lot of sleep, which was a huge benefit for me. Uh, I could process information pretty quickly, but typical day, wake up at 4.30, check emails, get a shower, head to the office, get there early. I always got there early. And, uh, you know, as your direct reports come in, so I had six direct reports, chat a little bit, what's going on. And, you know, generally by nine o'clock, you digested what had happened the day before. And uh, so you put out the fire patrols and they go do their thing. And now you start to think a little bit more about uh, what's going on. Uh, I had a great team surrounded me. Uh, couldn't have done anything I did without all of those team members, uh, Paul Tobin and Bob Locker and Patrick Sutton is still there today. Jeff Kindle ran the Gulf Force. So, you know, my job was mainly helping other people uh, uh, execute or implement or uh, develop a vision. Uh, most of the time, everybody knows what the what it is they need to do. You're just trying to help them figure out how to do it. So you'd spend, you know, half of your day, you know, executing your plan and helping other people. And HR today takes up a, a lot more time than it, than it used to in the past, a lot more training and development. And then, you know, you'd spend, or I would spend most of my day really, you know, working on the future. What's the next acquisition? What's the next building program? Um, I spent a lot of time in the industry uh, leading organizations like AWO and Waterways Council and, and uh, Siemens Church. And, you know, I, I helped out with a lot of the industry stuff uh, because I felt that was important that our voice be heard and Frankly, uh, I heard Jim talk about this a little bit. Uh, everybody was members, but it took the financial resources of the big guys to, to get the work done. And then it was always important to have everybody's voice when it came time to deliver that message. So spent a lot of time doing that, uh, developing the business and reading in the business. Uh, you know, I as I look back, I, I remember you know, dozens, if not hundreds of meetings that were so important, I couldn't be with my family. Uh, you know, I'd have to cancel this or cancel that. And as I sit here today, I can't tell you a, a single one of those meetings and why it was so important. But at right. the time, it sure seemed like it was. Um, you certainly have a lot more regulatory issues to deal with today. And, uh, you know, many of our, our businesses in the industry are still family owned. Um, but being owned by private equity brings a whole nother uh, layer of work that has to be done. Talking to your, your owners, your shareholders. We have public debt. So talking to bankers and lenders on a regular basis. So I would say in the last couple of years I was there, I, I spent more time with bankers and lawyers than I ever did with river people. And uh, that's what made it a little less fun than it used to be. <laughs> I really all that we do out on the river and that's really what I loved uh, I never really cared too much for all the other stuff that has to go along with it but it needs to be done and you know you're educating bankers and insurance people and, and owners on a regular basis uh, when you get to that size of, of scale financially we, we were doing about a, a billion dollars a, a year in sales so we it was you know cutting that down to like on a daily basis, 
revenue was right about 3 million and we were trying to figure out how we spend a, a million on operating cost, a million on capital cost and have a million left over to put in our pocket every day. And uh, it, it's quite a task. And uh, so a, another part is, you know, trying to keep the fairness uh, across all the lines of business and everything that we're doing because it's, you know, it's important that, uh, you know, everybody has the tools and the resources that they need to get the job done. So that's a fair part of that job as well is just helping people all across the business. Sure. Um, I'm not sure if it was before retirement or just after, but I believe a few years ago, you received an award, an industry award that you uh, believe accepted in New Orleans. Well, um, I'm, I'm not sure. I've uh, had the great fortune of spending, you know, time on many of these committees and, and projects and have been awarded uh, a number of times uh, by various industry groups. And uh, it might have been the um, National Rivers Hall of Fame. Uh, I got the River Bell in Paducah. I, you know, I, I was really heavily involved in the industry, like from in all of that support stuff, it was, you know, industry kind of revolves around where you take and run these organizations throughout your career for different periods of time. And I did most of that from the early 2000s to kind of the uh, 2010, 2011. Once I went to ACBL, uh, the time that I had to do a lot of that work uh, just wasn't there. So most of the recognition I got was really... Uh, kind of when I was at the helm and growing AEP River operations and uh, I helped join. Uh, I got a lot of recognition for helping. Uh, there was a small handful of people, Burden Lawrence and myself, Barry Palmer, Peter Steffites that, that merged Dynamo and um, Waterways Works into Waterways Council. I helped bring in um, Mark 2000 into that group. So I, I worked extensively and probably around 2005 doing all of that, got some recognition for that. During the, that same period of time, we developed the, the Riverworks Discovery and uh, gifted that over to the, uh, uh, National, or the National Rivers Hall of Fame and uh, the Riverboat Museum up at Dubuque. Uh, got some recognition for that. Uh, served on the user board a couple, three or four times. So I, I'm not sure exactly which one you're talking about, um, but um, you know, I was, I was, I was happy to do the work, uh, appreciate the recognition. But uh, there's so many other people that deserve recognition for all of those things that get accomplished. Uh, there's a lot of people, you know, carrying that load. And uh, I just happened for the spear on some of those and, and got recognized for it. But really, it's it's uh, all of those teams, uh, a lot of participants get that work done. Sure. It may have been the uh, Hall of Fame award that I'm remembering. Uh, can you tell me about that? Was that received in New Orleans? I, you know, I, I <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. I wouldn't remember that, but it's. It's, you know, it's a smaller occasion that's part of uh, the Waterways Council, Waterways Journal, and Informa Conference that they have, that symposium they have once a year. But, uh, you know, I, I never felt like I did anything 
unique that that brought that about. Uh, and I don't know how uh, I, I, you know, I don't know how they pick and choose who they award. But one of the one of the probably proudest things that we did is we we developed RiverWorks Discovery, which was a, a communication education training. Uh, that the industry has really taken to a whole new level now, very uh, involved in recruiting these days, uh, but very satisfying accomplishment there. You know, I really enjoyed working on the on the Waterways User Board, uh, really enjoyed, you know, with the National Waterways Foundation putting together uh, studies that uh, helped uh, our nation and uh, more importantly, our Congress understand what it is that our industry does. So, you know, I never felt like I did anything special. There, there's so many people working on these. Uh, you just, I, I don't know why you get the recognition versus another one, but I uh, was happy to receive it. And uh, I feel kind of bad now that I don't remember <laughs> exactly which ones where. What have you been uh, keeping yourself busy with since retirement? Well, we, uh, we, we've had, uh, some logistics issues we've been handling. So uh, when we left St. Louis in 2011 to go to uh, work for ACBL, uh, we lived in Louisville and we moved there as empty nesters. So our youngest son went off to college. Um, and so then we thought, well, this is a good time to do this. And it was only supposed to be three or four years and we'd run over to Louisville, do this. And come back to St. Louis. So it didn't quite happen that way. We were in Louisville for nine years without any of our children. And my wife was extremely lonely uh, after nine years. And she said, whenever you quit, I, I, I want to live by our children and uh, can't live by all three in three different cities. So she, she really wanted to get close to her daughter who was getting married and thinking about having a child. So we we left Louisville kind of in a hurry in the fall, uh, mainly because I, I, as I talked to a realtor, you know these stories, I talked to a realtor about selling the house and I got to do this, that, and the other. And I'm like, I ain't doing any of that. And a couple of guys had said, hey, if you ever move, call me. And I called one of them and he came and bought the house the next day. So he said, like, we'll buy it if we can have it. I'm like, oh, geez, now we got to move. So we moved to Oklahoma to be close to our daughter. And uh, I always thought that would just be a, a short-term deal, which it, it, as I got closer, I can be a pretty convincing fella. And uh, I know how to bribe those that are in need. So I bribed my daughter and my youngest son to move to St. Louis. And uh, so that took us um, oh, a good year to get all of that done. So we settled in here in St. Louis in uh, June. And uh, so since back in St. Louis, I feel my day just, you know, getting reacquainted with my family and all my old friends that are still here, close to the river. Uh, another guy that did a, a lot of great work for me, uh, still a good friend of mine here in town, Marty Heddle. Uh, Marty and I met back in my Utica days when I was working on uh, barges in, in the Ottawa Harbor. So I find, you know, just filling my day up, I, I do a little bit of consulting, not not much. I some days I wish I had a job, but most days I don't. Uh, I do miss the intellectual stimulation. I, I miss all the people, you know, in the end, that's what, that's what was so unique about our industry was the people. And uh, it was such an eclectic group of people from all different parts of the world. And 
So, Mark, before we got disconnected, you were telling me about your uh, your life since retirement. Yeah, so I was just saying over the course of the, so I've been retired a little over two years, and uh, first year and a half, uh, we made a quick trip to uh, Oklahoma, uh, talked to my daughter and her husband and their first uh, son um, into moving to St. Louis, and uh, my youngest son and his girlfriend were looking for a new place in Chicago, and we convinced them to move here as well. So over the course of the last 12 months or so, we've been working on um, we've been working on getting our family together. And uh, so I spent a lot of time here in St. Louis with my friends and former colleagues. And uh, one of my best friends uh, lives here in town, Marty Heddle, who we've worked together now since uh, the late 70s. Um, so I spent a lot of time doing that. And then we have a, our oldest son and his wife and a two-year-old granddaughter uh, live in California. We've been fixing up a little place that we bought out there. And uh, we try to get out there for the month of January. And, uh, and then we try to travel out there a month uh, or a week every month. So uh, probably spending as much time as anything uh, catching up with my family who uh, paid the price of my successful career was at their expense. And I think I was sharing with you earlier about all the important meetings I always had to go to instead of being with my family. And now I can't even think of one of those meetings. Uh, so spending a lot of time getting, getting caught up with family and welcoming our, our first two grandchildren into our life as well. Did your wife work over the years? My wife was uh, a graduate uh, in finance and economics, and she had a 10-year career during the first 10 years of our marriage, and, and then we uh, felt like we were uh, financially able and mature enough to have children. So um, when we had our first child, Mary uh, retired from her career and spent uh, the last 35 years raising our family. We're happy to... Um, have her at home and, and, and dedicated to raising our family and uh, also uh, became one of the best salespeople that we had at, uh, at AEP and ACBL as uh, they allowed me to take Mary uh, on a lot of my travel. And uh, so we, we did a lot of that the last 10 years together as well. So she knows uh, quite a few people in the barge business. Sure. Now, what about your kids? What do they do? Well, uh, my oldest son always wanted to be in the movies, uh, so he is. He uh, works in post-production on TV shows in L.A., and uh, his wife uh, works for Riot Games and runs the U.S. League of Legends series. Uh, and then they have a two-year-old granddaughter, I mean a two-year-old daughter. Um, my daughter worked full-time, uh, primarily in sales at a couple different major companies and then she had a baby a year ago November and so she's now a full-time mother homekeeper and her husband uh, is an entrepreneur and is just uh, now changing paths in his career back to uh, a franchise business and advertising and my youngest son was an artist as well and he's been uh, working on his art and uh, a long-term girlfriend that he has and uh, they both work in uh, uh, various fields around sales and uh, operations and uh, trying to figure out how they, uh, how they can get back into maybe the art business. So 
I don't know where the, all the artistic stuff came from, um, but we're happy to have that in our family. Sure. And I've seen on Facebook, I know you're, you're, you enjoy fishing as often as you can. Yeah. So right now that, uh, you know, again, traveling with family, uh, I try to go fishing at least every other month, if not every month. And then I spend uh, a fair amount of time on the Siemens Church Institute. Uh, I'm the vice chair there getting ready to be the chairman of that organization in the spring of 24. Um, it's a very gratifying piece of work that I'm doing. I'm trying to uh, endow uh, a fund for their ministry on the river uh, where those fellows will be taken care of into perpetuity and also expand the offering that we have. So we had two full-time uh, chaplains working on the river. Uh, we raised enough money here recently. We were able to put another full-time chaplain to work starting today, as a matter of fact. And we hope to close out a $5 million uh, endowment campaign within weeks, if not months, and uh, uh, have four full-time chaplains on the river. I, uh, I've always been near and dear to the Mariner. Uh, they wouldn't need any of us to be presidents of companies if we didn't have uh, Mariners out on the river moving the cargo you know, up and down and in and out of ports. So uh, I've always had a, a strong passion to look out for the Mariner and, and help them uh, as best as we can. And so I, I do spend a fair amount of time on that. And it's been very rewarding. And I got to tell you, the industry has been uh, very supportive as well as we've, uh, we're, we're really close to uh, four, four and a half million dollars of the five million being raised. And again, I think we'll close it out here very quickly in, in Q1. So that's been very satisfying as well. Do you have any, uh, any closing thoughts or, or message for the industry? Well, I would just say it's it's a great industry. I think if uh, if you're looking for a career, if you happen to be on here, just surfing the internet and find something here. It's a, it's an industry that can uh, promote quickly and strongly. People care about people in our industry. I think uh, you know I spent a fair amount of time on the recruitment side, and I don't I don't know where you go, uh, get out of high school, start a job at thirty five or forty thousand a year. Within a year, you're in the mid 50s. Within five years, with no college debt, you can be running a boat making $100,000 a year. And by the time you're 30, you can be making $150,000, $200,000 a year with no college debt. And, you know, for the most part, you do have to be gone a month, but the month at home, you know, I used to have these discussions with port captains and guys on the boats, you know, I don't know who works more hours, but. I know who gets more hours at home. The guys that work on the boat and get a month off every other month get a heck of a lot more time at home than the guy working 40 hours a week. So uh, I, I think it's a great industry to get started in. And there's a lot of opportunity today at all levels throughout the industry. The pay has went up considerably over the last few years. And uh, I just think it's a great industry to work in with a lot of great people and, and uh, unlimited opportunity. So. I would encourage anybody that has an interest in our industry to give me a call or, or uh, uh, Google, you know, barges in the U.S. and you'll come up with a whole list of uh, names of opportunities. I, I can't think of anybody that's not looking to hire you today. I do appreciate right. your time very sincerely. 
All right, Tim, thank you. And if there's anything I can ever do for you, uh, feel free to give me a call. Thanks a lot. All right, bye-bye.